Last week, Harvey spoke, and he talked about the fullness of time. And he, his scripture that he used last week was from Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. I want to read it. It's from the, this I'm reading is from the New King James. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. Okay, so, and he talked about that as fullness of time was everything in the scriptures that came before that was all pointing to Jesus. And then he talked about the next fullness of time that's coming, which is, we think, is coming pretty, pretty, pretty soon. And we've had 2,000 years of the history of the church, and all of that has been lived for the fullness of time. Or it says in Scripture, in Luke chapter 21, verse 24, it says, And they, meaning the Jews, will fall by the edge of the sword, and they'll be led captive away into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Well, we understand that because of past events to be the fall of Jerusalem and the Jews were dispersed out into all the nations of the world and they they were there until 1948 when they started coming back together into the nation of Israel that we have today. And so we know from the prophetic word that that the time is of the Gentiles is very close to being fulfilled. And that's our time, we're the Gentiles. And so when that happens, then there'll be a rapture and the church will be taken out of the way. And of course, Harvey talked about all that last week. So today, so what am I going to talk about today? Well, I think I would like to talk about how should we then live? I mean, how are we going to live during these last, these last weeks, months, or years before the rapture occurs? What are we going to do and um, I'd, I think I'd like to start with Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 33, the whole chapter is all about this. And he starts off with, in verse 10, he starts off with, Therefore, you, O son of man, say to the house of Israel, Thus you say, if our transgressions and our sins lie upon us, and we pine away in them, how can we then live? And it's a good question. And... Um, I don't know how many of you know who Francis Schaeffer is, theologian, and he was a great teacher from the 60s and the 70s and the 80s. And anyway, in 1976, he wrote a book called How Should We Then Live, which was taken from that passage in Ezekiel. And that book that he wrote later on became, it was adapted and it became a series, a teaching series, How Should We Then Live. And we, we, we had that here, the men's group went through that here last year. And uh, anyway, Francis Schaeffer really, really was able to put a finger. God gave him the gift of being able to put a finger on the times that were unfolding in the 70s and the 80s that were pointing to here. Now, Francis Schaeffer died in 1984. and, And yet, the things that he talked about and where we were going and how he saw the church progressing are all coming true, just one after another after another, right along with the prophecies that are in Scripture. I'd like to read to you the first paragraph in his book. This is from How, Sh- How Should We Then Live? There is a flow to history and culture. This flow is rooted and has its wellspring in the thoughts of people. 
People are unique in the inner life of the mind. What they are in their thought world determines how they act. This is true of their value system and it is true of their creativity. It is true of their corporate actions such as political decisions and it is true of their personal lives. The results of their thought world flow through their fingers or from their tongues into the external world. This is true of Michelangelo's chisel and it is true of a dictator's sword. That paragraph has had more, as far as secular books other than the scriptures, that paragraph has had more influence on me than anything I've ever read. I read that back in, 19, when did I read that? 1980, I think it was. 80, 80, no, it started right before I got saved. It was about 82. And um, it changed me. And and I, I, I've just never, you know, I, Jesus saved me and the Holy Spirit came to live in me and I was so excited and all I wanted to do was learn more and more and more. I, and, and Francis Schaeffer became one of my big heroes and, and he's a mentor to me and I studied pretty much everything he ever wrote. He wrote a lot of stuff. So anyway, how should we then live? Well, going back to what he said, our flow, the flow that he's talking about begins with presuppositions that we hold about eternal truth. No person in the world can, can, can get away with saying that they don't have a worldview. Everybody does. And you may not know what it is, but you've got one. Some people know perfectly well what it is, and they've got one too. And um, these, these eternal truths that we're talking about all start with presuppositions. They have to. And presuppositions are, I presuppose, for example, let me give you an example. Is there a God, or are there gods, or no gods at all? All three of those questions are those questions, those eternal questions of life, and the presuppositions is what you take to the table when you answer that question, because you do answer it. Everybody does. Another one is, where did we come from? And, of course, you know what some of the answers are to that question. We've talked about that here, and I'm sure you've seen it you know, in the news. Uh, we have some very prevailing views about those things today that are, that are actually having a very strong influence on the world. But we as Christians are, and God's word is diametrically opposed to some of those views because they're not true. How do we know what is right and wrong is another one of those eternal truths. And how do we know that? If you're not a believer and if you do not consider God's word to be of any importance, then then the only person who can determine what is right and wrong is you. And that's it. And that means that there are five, how many billions of people are in the world? I think about seven or eight billion people in the world. That's how many different worldviews you've got out there. And that's how many different ways of thinking of what right and wrong is. Okay, so I remember earlier when uh, when Chris was here and he talked about the bumper stickers. You guys all remember that. And he mentioned the one that he was really impressed by. And and I don't put bumper stickers on my car. I never have. And but I think that if I if I was going to put a bumper sticker on my car, I think I would put this one on there. And it was simply the word others. That all by itself. And no matter who you are, you're going to see that word, and you're going to you're going to think about it. You're going to wonder what what's what's going on there, and your worldview is going to come right into focus exactly as soon as you see that word. Now you may think one thing of it, and you may think something entirely different of it. But that 
word others is going to make you think of it because it, I don't have to tell. I don't even have to say it. In Christianity, we know what others means. We know what we think of others. We know what we're told to do to others and with others. But in, in other worldviews, that's not necessarily true. Certainly not true in the, in the naturalistic worldview, the worldview that's, that holds atheism as its, as its foundation. So, anyway. Um, and so, thinking of that, I, 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 I thought, when I, was, when, I was, when I was finding my scriptures to, to look at today that would illustrate how we should live, I came across a really good passage in Philippians, and it was, it was Paul talking about the things that he, that he wanted us to dwell on, which is to live. He wanted us to live on. These were thoughts. All of these were thoughts that came from our head. And, they were, and, and then they, as, they, as they came in, into being, they would work it themselves into actions. Okay? So we started off with, uh, this is, by the way, this is Philippians chapter 4 and verses 4 to 9. This is from the New Living Translation. Is it up there? Yeah. Okay, and he, he says, he starts off by saying, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember the Lord is coming soon. Alright, that's, that's, that's why I picked that passage, was because he's talking about the time that bumps right up. He thought the Lord was going to be coming any day. But we, we also think that the Lord is going to be coming any day. But this, what he's saying, is bumping right up to that. Because Paul knew that it would be tough times for Christians. And that they needed to have something to think about other than all of the troubles that were going on around them. And if that isn't true today, I don't know what is. Because we're, we're, we're being bombarded by every aspect of our life from the outside world to think things that are just an abomination to God. And we don't want to do that. And so therefore it's, but it's difficult because you, you, you turn on the, you go out and turn on the, the computer and you get on the internet and there it is, everywhere you look. So Paul gives us some instructions and that's what I want to talk about today. He says, uh, remember the Lord is coming soon. He wants us to live with total joy. And there's a song, Rejoice in the Lord Always, and again I say rejoice. I mean, you remember that song? I used to sing it with the kids years ago. And it's all, that's all there is to the song. You just keep singing it over. It's a round. You just keep singing it over and over again. And um, let, every, let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. That gets right back to what I just talked about, about others. How we treat others is being watched by the world. Because the world doesn't look at the, you've, you've heard of this term cancel culture, okay? People are not treating others with consideration in this world. And we're called to do that. And so we do. And when we do, the world takes notice of it. They won't say it. And they may even come down on us and, and badger us and belittle us for doing it. But they know, they know what's going on. So that's what God wants us to do. Um, we, we are living with the blessed hope, and that blessed hope comes up more and more often today in, uh, in, in, our, in our messages and in our reading. It, it's just there. And the blessed hope is that Jesus is going to return soon. That's our blessed hope. And so that blessed hope should just fill us with joy. And no matter how hard you're feeling, no matter how down things are, 
that blessed hope. All you have to do is just think about that. And you, can, and you know that he's coming soon. And all I have to do is just love God, love my neighbor, and wait. Like the, like the, like the virgins did in the parable. Okay, so don't worry about anything. This is the scripture again. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Those are two um, absolutes there. So don't worry about anything. That's, that means anything. That means nothing. Okay? So, so that means that if you are worrying about something, Paul is telling you, don't. All right? And then he turns around and he says, gives you another absolute. And he says, instead of doing all that other stuff, pray about everything. Well, how many of you, oh, I don't want to ask how many of you, but I'll, I'll just say this. Don't you feel like in these last days that you have been called in your mind and in your heart to pray a lot more often than you used to? I know I have. And I find myself praying all the time. We have a, we have a, a group that meets uh, on Sunday evenings, a prayer group, and we have we usually have a list of items that we've picked up during the week for people who need prayer or or things that need prayer about. And then usually there's there's around eight of us that get in on that group. By the way, anybody's welcome to, to join that group. It's on Blue Jeans. Come and see me. I'll tell you how to get on there. And uh, and then we pray, but lasts about an hour. And we pray for all these different items and. Some of our prayers have been answered in some pretty spectacular ways. So, but pray, 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 pray. Okay, tell God more scripture now. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all that He's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. One final thing. But let me go back to that we just read here for just a second and dwell on that. He talks about he talks about God's peace will guard your hearts and your minds. When he says don't worry, you don't worry. You give it to God. You give it to the Lord. Give it to Jesus. And you're going to get a peace inside. I know I do. I, I, and I just know you will too because God's promised you will. When he promises something, he keeps those promises. And those, those worries, no matter what they are, you give them to him, you just know that no matter what the outcome, that that's what God has intended to happen. And sometimes the outcome may not be what we like. We may have a really sick relative, and we pray and we pray and we pray that they would be healed, and they die. And we think, God, where were you? Well, he doesn't want us to do that. He has his reasons for doing what he does. And the reasons are far above anything we could ever understand. So we, he wants us to rejoice. Because if that person is, is saved, they're with him. If that person is not saved, then that person is not saved. And they have to go into eternity and they have to stand before him. And don't worry. If, you, if that person was someone that you know, if you were the one praying... You probably gave them opportunities to know the Lord, and they probably rejected them. That's usually the way it happens. I know I had family members. I have had, I have had brother a brother that died, and on his whole life, ever since I got saved in 1982, I tried to bring him to the Lord, face-to-face to the Lord. He didn't want to do it. And so he died last year, and he didn't know the Lord. 
So I, I just don't know. I, I wasn't there when he died, and there's possibility that he may have turned to the Lord. I just don't know, but that that can happen. And so he wants to give us that peace, okay? Um, then he says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on, and then he's got a whole long little list here, on all the things that he wants us to fix our thoughts on. And if we're pick, and if we're doing all this stuff that he says, we don't have time to, to turn on the computer and look at the news headlines. They just don't, because you're busy doing all kinds of good stuff here. I, I found that out yesterday because I, I spent most of the day yesterday preparing all of this, and um, I didn't have time for anything. There was a great baseball game on, but uh, I pretty much missed it. I kind of caught it every once in a while. But anyway, so what is true? Is it the first one? He wants us to think about what is true. So what is true? Well, God is true. That's the very first in order thing. God is true. And and then by 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 proxy, God's word is true because God's word is Jesus. And Jesus is true. What else is true? Well, my salvation. My salvation is true. I can I can get on my knees and thank God all day long for my salvation. Because I get to spend eternity with him. And if I had not given myself to him, if he had not called me and drawn me to him, in spite of what the, the, the mixed up person that I was back in 1982, I wouldn't know him. I wouldn't have any salvation. So I thank him for it. So think about those kind of things. And then the next one is, and honorable. True, and honorable. So what's honorable? Well, it's what we give, it's when we give respect to somebody. We honor them, okay? So who do we honor? Well, first of all, in Scripture, who does it tell us to honor? Come on. It's the fourth, uh, fifth, fifth commandment. And it's um, our parents. And so we can honor our parents. Now, I wanted to talk about that a little bit because some of us come from families uh, where the parent, our parents were not the, most, were not the models of, uh, of piety or purity. Um, I do. Uh, it's amazing how many people um, in today's world that are becoming Christians or, or even are, and I'm talking about born, born, uh, born again Christians. They come from really hard backgrounds. So they have parents who were not necessarily very lovable or very honorable. But you know, I did find out one thing though, that all you have to do is spend a minute or two and you can think of something that your parents did, even though they were not the nicest parents in the world, but there were th- there were things that they did that were honorable that you can honor them for, and then and you find those things, you get them in your head, and you keep them there, and you throw all the other stuff out. Let just practice the practice the the uh, the joy of forgiveness. It's not much forgiveness in this world today, especially when you get away from Christianity. It is terrible out there. People do not want to forgive. And they walk around and they spew bitterness because they can't come to grips with forgiveness. Well, God says that if you, for, he want, in, in the Lord's Prayer, it says, forgive us our sins, our debts, as we forgive those who sin against us. Well, that's very important to God. He wants us to do that forgiving. And so thinking about it is usually where it starts. And then what happens? It works its way into actions. And then you find yourself doing it. Okay, so you've got honorable and right is the next one. And right, okay, what's right? Well, that's a good one. Uh, it's appropriate conduct for one thing, which is sometimes in, in strong demand in today's world. Just go into any 
any uh, grade school classroom and uh, see if you're seeing any appropriate conduct going on in there. Um, I'm being a little facetious here. Free from error is also another definition for right. Free from error, okay? And another one is in a correct manner. But all right, all right and all righteousness all come from God. And so Paul is, is encouraging us to think about things that are right. Because if you're thinking about things that are right, you don't have time to mess with the things that are wrong. I, I, I can easily, and I do this, I, I have to confess, I think a lot about things that are wrong or things that I think are wrong. And I waste a lot of time doing that. My wife, my wife will tell you that. And, uh, and she has to remind me from time to time that uh, I shouldn't do that. <laughs> uh, and pure, the next one is pure. Pure. Purity. Um, purity is winsomeness. When I taught school, one of the things that I taught my students was, you are... I taught, I, I was, my focus in my teaching was on uh, apologetics uh, when I taught religion classes and I just tended to lean towards apologetics. Every teacher has a way, uh, they have a favorite subject or favorite sec- sec- section of Christianity that they tend to follow and I did poly- poly- which simply is defense, defending your Christianity and it's in such demand today in Christian, in Christian circles because, because we have to be able to defend what being thrown at us because they're not only throwing it at us, but then they're telling us we can't fight back. We can't say anything, which is really grossly unfair, but it's, it, it leads to terrible things. So winsomeness is, is being able to speak the truth in, an, in a nice way. You've got to be able to tell people that if they don't come to Jesus, that they're going to spend eternity in hell. And you've got to make them smile at you and say, thank you. Okay? <laughs> that's, win- that's winsomeness. <laughs> and it can't, I, I have seen a lot of young kids. Where's our students here? I've seen a lot of young kids that are just as winsome as can be. They don't, they're not confrontive. They're not embattled. They simply speak the truth for what it is. I'm sure you, you guys know people like that, too. And... And sometimes it's going to really upset people, but that's okay because that's that's God told he, Jesus said that that would happen. So so it's not a surprise. And when it does, yeah, it might it might even hurt your feelings, you know, especially if it's in a group and you and you're the one that's that's speaking the truth and everybody else is coming down on you. Okay, I know what that was like when I was a kid. I didn't remember though. I didn't forget those things. I didn't forget the hurts. I forgave the people for doing them, but the, but the hurts even now. I can think of incidences when that happened. Okay, so you—you uh, uh, um, know what I did? I, I, I used winsome for for another one. I, what I meant was rich in harmony and free from extraneous elements. That's purity. And I and for any—I'll I'll get to the winsomeness again on lovely. But um, in purity, a great example is is if you take a big gallon jug, clear clear gallon jug, and you fill it all the way up to the top with water. Okay. So you got uh, a gallon of water in this jug, and you let it sit there for a while, and it and it turns crystal clear. Water's pure, okay. So it's it's crystal clear, and you look and you can see right through it, and everything's great, okay. All right, that's pure water. Now you take a teaspoon or a quarter of a teaspoon of dirt from outside. You go outside and you scoop up a, a, a teaspoon. You bring it over, and you 
dump it in that in that gallon of water. Instantly, you can see the effects of it. Because if you see the water, it, it'll turn a brownish color right away. And, and, and all of the stuff that was in that dirt, the heavy stuff, the rocks and so, all fall down to the bottom. You see them on the bottom down there. Okay, so that's how it, easy it is to, to make something that's pure, impure. And I think of that one a lot, a lot of times when I think of, like little kids, because little kids start off, they're not pure, but, but they're, they're, they're what I used to call, somebody else used to say this too, young skulls full of mush. And, and I used to, I used to say that too. I say, okay, you young skulls full of mush, when you leave here today, you're gonna not have so much mush. And, um, and, and sure enough. But I looked at them as, as pure. I, I did. I, I knew that they were, that they were fallen and I knew that they all ha- had sin in their lives somewhere, but they didn't have the sin like we do. And so, and so when, when I see today, when I see what, what teachers are doing to young children, I, I just cry. I, I, it's hard to take. And, and, it, and it's not that I worry about it because I know it has to happen, but I, my heart just breaks for the children because they're the ones that are being receiving all of this stuff. I don't have, I don't have, any, uh, I don't have any, any hard or any feelings about the teachers, but I do feel for the kids, though. So Paul wants us to think about purity. Okay, and then next one is lovely, and I'm sorry, I got ahead of it. And I talked about winsomeness when it was in purity. Winsomeness is in lovely. And what is lovely? Well, it's an old word, and it comes, it comes to us. We probably see it used more in British English than we do in English here. And that's because lovely means winsome. And it also means in a childlike way. Uh, when you say that somebody is, for example, if I say, if I look at Terry here and I say, Terry, you've got a, an absolutely lovely dress on today, okay? That's, that's lovely. If I look at, uh, if I, I'm not going to find somebody here. <laughs> you, your hair, that, the way you have it fixed up today is absolutely lovely, okay? And that's lovely. And if you think about those kind of things, my challenge to you guys is to go home today and and think of about five or six different things that you can say start off with your spouse probably safe that way and uh, think of things that you can say and use the word lovely in it in the in the sentence okay and don't be don't get don't get wise or don't get funny just use it very nicely okay lovely all right think about those things the next one is is admirable admirable what's that well for one thing it's inspiring when you when you meet someone like for me it's Francis Schaeffer, I see Francis Schaeffer as being a very admirable character because Francis Schaeffer inspired me so much. You everybody in, in here has someone, some person in your life that you think is admirable. Well, my 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 exhortation right now is keep on thinking that way and find some more, and uh, and then go tell them, okay. And if it's a woman, say you're very lovely. Okay. Okay. I don't usually. I don't think we do it to men. I, I don't. I, I, I'm not going to say, "Hey, Harvey, you're really lovely today." <laughs> this is not going to work. <laughs> okay. So the next one after that is uh, think. Think about things that are excellent. And there's that word, excellent. That poor word has been beaten around so much in the last twenty years. I'm. 
I just feel so bad for excellent because, because it's been changed. It's been stood on its head. It used to mean, years and years ago, it used to mean of the highest quality, first class. That was excellent. You did an excellent job. You, you had, you got an excellent grade on your test. Okay? You used to use, it was superlative. It was always a superlative word. Well, what's happened is that the enemy has come in and sowed some really, really, really dangerous seeds in our culture. And, and excellence now is being turned into something called equitable. And equitable means everybody's the same. You can't, you can't say one person is better than another person because we got to practice equi- we have to practice diversity and equitability and and so when you do that you you just take excellence and you just put it on the shelf outside somewhere you can't use that word anymore and that's so sad but we can and not only that but we can think about it so think about excellence think about things in your life that are excellent think about think about um, people that are that you just admire and that you look at them as being in the most excellent way. Paul uses that in another in another one of his uh, letters. Okay, so we've got excellence, uh, and then and then next comes worthy of praise, and of course worthy of praise is commendable, and it's another word called laudable. It's a Latin word, laudable for laude, and laude. You've heard of it. You see, where you we see laude is in graduations at college, and you find out that some of them are graduated cum laude, okay, and then another one is uh, magna cum laude, and then a third one, and of course the highest one is summa cum laude, and 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 uh, laude or cum laude, cum is is with, and laude is honors with honors, okay? And then when you have magna cum laude, then that's big, great honors. Magna means great in Latin. You have great honors. And of course, summa, summa, sum in Latin is, is, is the highest honor, the total honor, total honors. We get the word sum in arithmetic from that word, okay? And so those, those are three things. Think of that. Think of people that you know that are just plain laudable people. And when you think of them, go tell them. My challenge just today is to find somebody that you can go say some of these. You don't tell them all. They'll get a big fat head. So, um, but say something to someone out there, okay? Okay, then Paul continues on and he... See what, where we are okay, Paul continues along and he talks about keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then, he talks about this again now, then the God of peace will be with you. That's a wonderful promise. But it's a conditional promise because he says, see all that stuff I just told you back there? Put it in practice. Take it from your thought world, okay, and put it into practice. Dwell on it. Uh, one of the translations uses the word dwell at the beginning about dwelling on all these things. I want, I want you to dwell on these things. Dwell means live. means take up residence and stay there. Okay? So do that. And I can guarantee that life will be a little bit better looking, especially in the, in the area of joy. And it, I, have a, I, had, I have another headline here that I wrote, and it says, what does it all boil down to? Because I just gave you a whole big long list of things. So how does it all boil down? 
And it does, and it all boils down to love. Because love is the greatest thing. Paul says that in, in Corinthians. And, of course, we know that God is, is love. All right, So he's the very essence of love. And so I have a, a, a little, um, a little uh, scripture here from Second John 1, verses 5 and 6. And uh, it says, I'm writing to remind you, dear friends, uh, that we should love one another. This is not a new commandment, but one we have had from the beginning. Love means doing what God has commanded us. And he has commanded us to love one another, just as you heard from the beginning. Now, I, I need to remind you very quickly that up at the very beginning of that, I said, I am reminding you, and I said, dear friends, uh, and, and that's got a little asterisk next to it, because because it, it actually doesn't say, dear friends, it says, Lady, and there, and 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 we've we, we we've tried to figure out what that lady's all about, but uh, it, it's it's argumentative. So I just I just and the and the what is this? The New Living Translation? They just bypassed it and said, "Dear friends." So I I needed to point that out, though. Okay, and so and so this is what God has commanded us. And you, this isn't the first time that you've heard John say this. John talked about love, and he talked about loving one another over and over and over in his epistles and in his gospel. So love was a big thing to John. And, uh, and, and it should be a big thing for us, too. We can, we can find ways to find love anywhere. It's not hard to do. Even, even, if you, even if there's someone that you know that's just plain outright despicable, you can still find a way to love them somehow, if you try. And uh, oh, don't beat them up. Just go love them, okay? So with all of that, I've just given you guys all kinds of challenges now and sent you all off on your merry way, and uh, you're going to go out, and you're going to come back black eyes next week. You know? <laughs> what did you do to us? John's going to look at you, and he's going to say, what happened? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay, so um, that's all I have. And uh, but I would like to pray, and I'd like to pray about this stuff, okay? And I, I, I would, we, we need, we need to, we need to come together and you and be in a in a unified uh, body in our church, and we need to do these kind of things, and then we need to come back and talk to each other and tell us how these kind of things are affecting our lives. I really do think that that's what God wants us to do, and so that's why I'm. You know, kind of tongue in cheek challenging you, but on the on the other hand, I really do. I would really like to see that happen to you, and uh, and I pray that it does. So, as a matter of fact, let's pray anyway. Pray, Lord. Oh, um, Father, this world is a mess, and uh, and we know it, and we could talk about what a mess it is, but we don't need to, Lord, because you know it too, and you know where it's headed, and so do we. Because you've told us, Lord. But you've also told us what you want us to do in the meantime. You've given us so many commands that we can just focus and concentrate on those commands. And we won't have to worry about the messed up world that we live around. Because we're going to be so busy simply doing and accomplishing your commands. Because you're going to, um, you're going to be right there by our side, Lord Jesus, to make these things happen. And we, we really, we, we've been praying, and matter of fact, there's, there's so much 
there's many places in the in the church, Lord, that's praying for revival, and we're praying for that here too. We'd love to see the revival, Lord, and we want to be a part of it. If it is, we just we want you to use us, like like Isaiah said, uh, "Here I am, Lord, send me, send me," and that's what that's what we're saying. No matter how, what your age, uh, no matter what you do, uh, Father, we just want you to send us, and we ask that you would do that. And we ask, of course, all of it in the name of your precious son, Jesus. Just give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Amen.